All right. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, well, no, chapter 2. We're going to look a little bit at 1, but we're going through all of chapter 2. But, it, but, but bear with me, right? It shouldn't be too bad. It shouldn't be too long tonight. Um, as we see here, the title is The Wisdom of God Versus the Wisdom of Man. And the, the reason I say that is because we cannot help but see Paul is making a distinction purposely between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. He, he begins in, in chapter 1 and, and finishes here in chapter 2. And just those two chapters, over 18 times, Paul mentions wisdom or wise uh, and, 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 and con- contrast them. He contrasts the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God over and over again. So uh, we have to look at that. Um, and again, I, I think that's playing into today's uh, world that we live in as Christians. And we wonder, um, as we talk to people, as we want to evangelize, if we want to give the gospel, we want to see people trust Christ. And yet, it's, it's difficult, right? I mean, it's just, I think, it, again, I, I just, I feel in my spirit, this weightiness in our day and age, trying to convince people their need for Christ, their, the reality of sin, the reality of a holy God. I mean, all those things, I, I know it's always been impossible for us to convince people of that, but it just seems like in this day and age, we're living in a very tough time. Um, Depending on my eschatology, what it was, I would say we're in the end times, but I'm not going to get into all that. But anyway, I'm saying that we are really uh, needing to depend on the power of God. We always have, but I just want to really reiterate that today as we go through this chapter. So very quickly, um, basically beginning in verse 1, uh, and we're just going to exegete this tonight, just going through this, this chapter. But, but notice, Paul says, 1 Corinthians one, or 2, verse 1, he says, And when I came to you, brothers... Uh, and when I and when I, I and I when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And I just want to stop there for just a, just a second. This this word testimony, by the way, is is important. The word testimony, barturion, is this idea of covenant, really. I mean, uh, the testimony or the, the, the marturion, where we get our word martyr, but it's a, for witness, right? I'm bearing witness. I'm giving witness or a word. And the testimony of God is what Paul's talking about here. Uh, the word testament kind of uh, related there, the idea of what? God's word, his promise, his covenant. And so God has made some promises, right? And what Paul is saying is, I am I'm coming to you and I'm proclaiming, boldly proclaiming, basically the covenant of God, uh, that promise that God has made. So we could kind of paraphrase this verse. He says, I've decided to proclaim to you the covenant of God without lofty speech or lofty wisdom, but simply to present Christ and him crucified. And when you think about that, is not that the fulfillment of the covenant of God? What is the covenant of God? That, that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Who does that point to, obviously, and ultimately? Christ. And so Paul says, as I proclaim to you the testimony of God, or the promise of God, or the covenant of God, I don't need lofty words. I don't need lofty speech. I don't need the wisdom of man. I simply need to preach Christ and him crucified, because that is the pinnacle, if you will. That is the, the, the finality, the fulfillment of the promise of God. When God promised to redeem his people, he was looking toward the cross. And so when Paul says, I'm going to tell you the fulfillment of the testimony of God and his covenant, I'm simply going to tell you what it is. It's Christ and him crucified. 
And so, so, so I love this. Now, there's a temptation, I know, with all of us, because I am, or at least preachers, <laughs> but I think sometimes even with our friends and relatives, when we're trying to witness for Christ, there's a temptation to use lofty speech. Uh, there's a temptation to somehow use human wisdom, uh, psych psychiatry or philosophy or whatever we can use. There, there's this temptation. I, I know that w the SBC right now is embroiled in a, in a, in a, con you know, a kind of a, a conspiracy, if you will, or a conflict. Um, the new president, Ed Litton, has been caught. He was not just accused, but he's been caught in plagiarism, basically. And taking a, another sermon, literally, and preaching it as his own. Um, and, and so now it's, it's involving the former president, J.D. Greer, because it was his sermon uh, <laughs> that Ed Litton preached. And uh, they've all been talking on the internet. Uh, you know, they've all been giving their statements. J.D. Greer says, no, I gave him permission. He, he told me it was a blessing, so I told him he could use it. But the point is, is Ed Litton preaches it, and you see the side-by-side -side comparisons. He's preaching it as his own. He's using the same illustrations and, and uh, kind of interjecting himself. And, and I mean, word-for-word -word phrases and the same outline, the same points, the same everything. No credit. And that's basically plagiarism. But my point is, and it's a big scandal right now, right? Okay. Many people calling for the firing of that man. I mean, I know D.A. Carson has come out and spoke. John Piper has spoke. And uh, D.A. Carson is very strong and just felt like if any, any pastor who gets up and pawns off a sermon as his own and everything in it, his point is he should be fired. Why? He's broken the seventh commandment. He's lied. He's also deceived his people. He's, they're, they're, it goes on and on. So what I'm saying is yeah, plagiarism, and our seminaries teach this, right? You can't even hand in a paper unless you have documented and cited and footnoted over and over all of the sources. You, you, very, very strenuous in our seminaries. And yet now we have the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. By the way, um, they, he, he ended up, his church ended up taking down, a, taking down, deleting 140 sermons from their website. So that tells you <laughs> there could be a, a long string of this. And, 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 and not just that, folks, we have groups and, and papers like Christianity Today basically writing articles encouraging plagiarism, saying, oh, no, no, we can use, uh, you know, Sermon Central, use somebody else's sermon, it's, there's nothing new under the sun, it's, it's okay, uh, and we have to, you know, have to, this pressure to perform, so you got to give these pastors a break because they're trying to do, uh, they're trying to keep up with everybody out there on, on, on the internet. Well, here's the thing about all of that. The pressure is there. I don't deny it. I, don't, I, I mean, it's, it's there. Uh, th this pressure to somehow um, keep up and to perform. It's because of our attractional ministry model that we've had over the years. Pastors feel like, okay, I've got to stick up with it. I've got to be preaching as good or as sensational as that YouTube pastor that my church is watching, right? <laughs> That's, and, and so we've kind of created some of this pressure in the church. And when it surrounds preaching, we've made it more about performance and entertainment than about the exposition of God's Word. The plain and, and clear exposition of, of God's Word has been replaced by pastors thinking, I've got to do something sensational. I've got to keep up with all the guys out there. Here's, here's a sad, another sad truth. Uh, a, a recent survey taken in, 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 in a seminary asked the seminary students, the, the pastoral students at a major seminary, who is your most influential preachers that you listen to? Who's the most influential pe preacher? And the greatest percentage given were guys like John Piper, Paul Washer, you know, I mean, guys that are on the internet, 
only out of, out of a thousand guys, right, that sur surveyed on this, only something like a percent and a half, almost two percent said my pastor, my home pastor, the pastor of my local church is the most influential. So, the, so, so you see as pastors see that and, and, and we're trying to feel this pressure to say we've got to somehow perform like everybody out there that has all the big hits on YouTube. You, does that make sense? And so what I think we've done is we've created with this attractional ministry, this, hey, come see us, come see what we've got. We've got a sensational show to offer. We have failed to trust in the power of God's spirit and the simple preaching of the gospel. So Paul, what a great reminder, I think, that, that Paul gives us here. Um, I, here's a quote, by the way, from Christianity Today, kind of re responding to this whole plagiarism thing, which is going back and forth. But here, here's, here's what a guy said there. He said, we in the church still suffer from the romantic illusion that the sermon is the creative prophetic effort of the lonely individual who wrestles with the text in a closed study and emerges with a revelation from God. This is just silly. Okay, I've got some things about that. I, I understand there's some ways to critique this. I don't, I don't believe that a man gets alone and gets a new revelation. I don't believe that. I don't believe we, we get some revelation. But I do believe that the man of God must wrestle with the text of the Word of God. That the pastor, the, the preacher, the one who's called to proclaim the message should wrestle with that message and pray over that text and wrestle some more with that text and pray with that text. So much so that that text becomes a living part of that pastor or that preacher. It, it becomes a, 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 something that he's passionate about because he's wrestled with it personally and intimately. He's not just taking someone else's warmed over leftovers and, and feeding that. He's feeding from the well of his own heart fresh water. And it doesn't have to be flashy and it doesn't have to be eloquent. It just has to be true to the word, true to the text. And so, so I think this is, this, is, this is scary to hear, well, that's just silly that a guy has to actually wrestle over the text. I don't know how many times John Piper has mentioned that he has literally beat his head on his desk trying to pray that God will give him clarity on a certain text. This is what we have to do, I, I believe. We have to see this as being the eternal word of God. It is, it is powerful. It is sharp. It is supernatural. And we have to pray and we have to wrestle. It shouldn't be just easy. But God is faithful. He's faithful. And he reveals himself. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And he gives unction and so again, for the ministry and for the pastorate, I just still believe, old-fashionedly enough, that God calls men for the ministry to preach the gospel and that he equips those men and he gives unction as they preach the word of God, as they faithfully rely on him. And again, I think Paul gives me great encouragement, and I hope you, that as we talk, not just preaching, but as we talk to our loved ones and family and friends about Christ, we don't have to rely on words of lofty speech and man's wisdom. We can simply preach Christ <laughs> and him crucified. We simply lay out the text of scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to give the increase. First, now again, I'm not saying that we don't do research and we don't, we can't quote other people. Uh, I think you understand that we're not saying that at all, but we are saying we must not try to perform and therefore have this pressure to somehow take and steal other guys' ideas just so we'll look uh, lofty and uh, somehow performing. 
All right, let's, that rant's over. Let's get back. Sorry. <laughs> but look what he goes on to say in verse 2 as he continues to just build on this idea of, I'm just going to preach the covenant that God has given us. That's Christ and him crucified. I'm just going to lay that out, he says. And he says, for I decide in verse 2 to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. And again, that, again, power, powers forward how he's going to lay out this, this truth of God. He's simply going to just lay it as it is. I think, I think this idea of knowing Christ is so powerful that, that again, is what we must preach. People must know Christ. But if, we, if we're not preaching the word, as, as Paul tells Timothy, that young pastor, preach the word. This is how we preach Christ, by preaching the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures, as well as the New Testament scriptures. You say, New? in the New Testament, by the way, they would say scripture, and they meant Old Testament, right? When Timothy talked to, when Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said, don't forget how you came to know Christ. And we're going to read that in a moment here. But don't forget how you came to know Christ what you learned from the scriptures, and he was talking about the Old Testament, but also the New Testament is scriptures as well. As a matter of fact, Peter, we're not going to take time, but, sec, but in Second Peter, Peter quotes Paul, and as he does, he says that many are twisting Paul's words like they do the rest of scripture, saying that, hey, Paul's writings are right there with the rest of scripture as far as the authority that they bear because Paul is writing what he received from God. So again, the authority, and I'm saying this for a purpose, if we're going to receive the message of, of Christ and the gospel and of God's covenant, we've got to receive it from the word of God. That's, that's the, 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 the wisdom of God. It comes from the word of God. Otherwise, we get in trouble. If, if we're relying on our wisdom, and here's again where Paul's going to make this distinction as we read through here, because he says, I did not come to, to in verse one again, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And what he means by that, again, is wisdom of man. For I decided to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Paul is saying, I, if you rely on your wisdom, you're going to miss him. It's got to be God's wisdom. Okay, so here's, here's why I say that. There's this, <laughs> we'll come up with all kinds of ideas if we allow people to rely on their wisdom of who Christ is. Okay. So Paul is making a distinction here. When we proclaim Christ and him crucified, we have to be proclaiming him in the wisdom of God, not in the wisdom of men, because men and women will have different ideas of who Christ is based on their emotions at the time or their feelings or their own desires. So we'll end up in bad places if we rely on our wisdom. So that's why I prayed at the beginning, God give us wisdom and discernment. I want to put up a Facebook post I saw this week to kind of give gives credence to what I'm saying here. It's a, uh, I, I blocked the name out because we don't need to know. But, and I don't even know this person, but <laughs> I'm going to read this with you. I say this often, but obviously not enough. The goal for Christians is to be Christ-like, not biblical. Literally anything can be justified with biblical perspectives, but do those perspectives align with Jesus' life and teachings? Now that sounds noble, doesn't it? Sounds quite wise in our own human understanding. We need to be like Christ, not like the Bible. Okay, now, on further examination, though, as we look at this through the wisdom of God and not just man, we see a problem. My question to you is, how do we know the teachings of Christ? How do we know them? How do, how do we know what Christ lived like? Lived like? It, it's through the word of God. It's, it's the Bible. I mean, literally, the truth is, for this young lady, the truth is 
To live Christ-like is to live biblically. And vice versa. You can't have one without the other because Christ is the living word. He is the word. You can't separate him from the written word. He, it, it's him. So this is where we end up, folks. If we, leave and we, if we leave the wisdom of God and we begin to rely on our understanding and on our wisdom, we're going to get all kinds of strange, silly philosophies and ideas that people are just going to run to because it just feels good to them. It sounds so noble. A guy said that in our church years ago. He told me, why do you keep preaching the gospel? You preach it, eh, gospel, gospel, gospel. There's more in the Bible. Let's, let's, and why don't we just seek Jesus? Let's just seek Jesus and let him guide our lives. Amen, brother. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it really means. Just what I was doing, preaching the gospel as we see it revealed in the Bible. That's how we understand who Christ is. It's the only way. As a matter of fact, we'll look at this, 2 Timothy if you want to turn there, you can. I'll read it to you if you don't. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, well-known verses that tell us about the authority of God's word and how this is how God has, has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. This is his very words. This is the only way he reveals himself to us is through his ever-settled word in heaven. And this is where Paul's talking to Timothy. So, so look at this. He says in verse 14, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a child. Here's how he learned it from his grandmother teaching him the Bible. How from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You see that? That's the scripture, as he goes on to say. Which are able, what are these sacred writings, the, the, the word of God? able to do? He says, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The reason Timothy had faith in Christ Jesus is because he knew the scriptures. He had been exposed to the sacred writings. And then Paul goes on to reiterate the authority of those, those scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The way we know how to live a righteous life is not just to go somewhere in a dark room and close our eyes and meditate and think about Jesus. And somehow he's going to show us in our feelings how to live. No, God has given us his word. And it is profitable. It is able to make us wise into salvation and to correct us and to train us in righteousness. So again, true wisdom and the ability to understand the gospel comes, though, from the Spirit of God. So, so here we, we've got this. I hope we've clarified this, that the Bible is the way we see Christ and the gospel. That is the sacred writings. That is God's written covenant to us, right? This is it, the, the, the new and the old testaments, if you will, or covenants. But here's where we get into some steep stuff here, right? Because we've got people who can read this stuff read the Bible. They've been in church all their lives. They claim to be Christians even, and yet their lives betray it. They, they deny it in their very lifestyles. And then later, as in the case of Olivia here, a friend who grew up with her, I hope you don't mind me sharing this because I'm starting. Is it okay? Don't do it or you don't mind? Okay. <laughs> a friend of hers that grew up, a uh, childhood friend, just uh, has recently moved to Cincinnati, so God has a plan, I think. But in her Chicago land where they grew up, 
this, this girl was very instrumental in getting Olivia uh, in, in church and uh, just, just a, somebody I think that you would have looked up to spiritually. And now has come out as an atheist, about atheist. Another friend of hers that many of you may remember, Lisa, right, that came to church, Julie. What is it? Okay, I hope she's not listening. But anyway, who cares? <laughs> this is Wednesday night. Lisa, not Lisa Moore, a friend that first came here when way back, if you remember, when Olivia came and she was a college student here and her friend was here. And her friend actually picked this church, right? Her friend actually said, let's go to, go to Grace Covenant or whatever we were at the time. And then let's, let's go there. And, and that friend is also now an avowed atheist. And, and I say all that stuff just to say again, folks, that we, people can read the Bible. People can pick up the jargon. They can even make the profession of faith. They can even say the sinner's prayer and, and, and still have no fruit and no spiritual life and no real depth, no, no, no genuine relationship with Christ whatsoever. So what's the deal? True wisdom and the ability to understand the gospel comes from the Spirit of God. That, that's why. And that's, that's what Zechariah 4, 6, I, I'll just, you can write that down, but I'm going to just quote it. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Right? That's, that's what this is reiterating to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. Here's where we see it. Now, we're going we're gonna to see all this stuff come into play. We're going to read quicker now. We're not going to be too long. Trust me, we can do this. Right? But this is where the, Paul makes the application of all that he's already set up here. It's not man's wisdom. It's not the power of our speech. It's not the lofty words or ideas. It's not our persuasion. None of that. It's God's truth that Jesus was crucified for sinners. We proclaim that. But what makes the difference in somebody's life? What is the difference between Olivia sitting here today, uh, years later, uh, worshiping God, still believing I trust you're still believing, Olivia, but still believing in Christ, still singing to his glory. And her friend, who heard the same gospel, was in the same church, and yet today denies Christ. What, what's the difference? Well, Paul's going to show us in these next verses how, how this works. So look at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So you see a little change here in the, in the language. First, he's saying... You know, I'm not speaking about wisdom. I'm not using wisdom. And you think Paul would be against wisdom altogether. It's not wisdom that he's against. It's human wisdom. <laughs> it's a wisdom based on our folly, okay? But now he says, yet among the mature or the complete, we do impart wisdom. And by the way, that term there, mature, would represent a Christian, those who are in Christ, made complete by his grace. And we impart wisdom, Paul says. Although, now look at this, although it is not a wisdom of this age. So again, the contrast again, right? We're imparting a wisdom to those who believe, but it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. It's, it's, it's not about any, any human ruler or a government or anything like that that's all passing away. It's not of this earth. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, we could get very Gnostic here. <laughs> it's a temptation, right, for the secret and hidden wisdom. But, but it's not, he's not, Paul's not a Gnostic. He's not some, it's not a mystic thing where you don't even know if you've got this wisdom or not. No, nothing like that. Let's look at these words. 
So the, the word secret there means to be hidden or concealed. That's all that, that means. So it's a, it's a wisdom that, that is hidden from people. Okay? And Jesus said this all the time in the, in, in the New Testament when he told parables. And they were, nobody got them, right? And literally, Jesus spoke in parables not so much to reveal truth to people, but to conceal truth from people. Now you say, that can't be. Well, we're going to see it in the last verse where, Paul, where, where, where Jesus tells his apostles, to you. They said, why do you speak in parables? And we don't understand it. But he said, to you it's been given to know the, the secrets of the kingdom. And he would reveal. And, and this is what we're going to get into here. Look, to the lost world, to a dead sinner, the things of God that we're preaching are hidden to them, even though they're hearing them. The genuine force of those truths are hidden to them. Seeing, they see not. Hearing, they hear not. So look at this. We'll keep reading. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. The word hidden is, is the word uh, Musterion, where we get the word martyr, mortation, mortation, martyr, okay? And, with that, and that idea of, 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 of hidden, um, I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that. It, it, it's just the word uh, uh, for mystery, does it? Musterion, mystery. And, and what is that? So is this some mysterious thing that we'll never be able to understand? Again, that's more Gnostic, and that's where people get this idea that, oh, it's, it's some, you'll never really know if you have it or not. It's just a mystery that we'll never understand. No. Here's the problem with that Greek word translated into English. There's really no English word that matches mysterion in the Greek. We have the word mystery, but our word mystery means something that we can never figure out, right? It's just a mystery. We use that word when we give up on something, right? We're trying to explain something, and oh, it's a mystery. I can't, I'll never get it. Forget that. That's not what mysterion means in the Greek. It literally means that which has not been known before, but which has been revealed to an in-group or a restricted con constituency. Now, now, that's a different word. It's close, but it's different. It doesn't mean it's something you can never know, that we'll never get. It means something that is hidden to some, but revealed to others. That's, and we don't have a word that means that in English. But that's what it means right here. And Paul is going to go ahead and explain that as we look at verses 10 through 16, as we finish this out. Here it is. Everything I've just said, if you're getting confused, here's what it means. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's what I mean by this. That this word is a mystery and that it's been hidden to some, but it's God's wisdom. And it cannot be figured out by the wisdom of man. Look what he says. He goes on to say, But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Ah, this, whatever this is, whatever this is that we can't see, but God reveals to us is something he decreed for us ages ago, right? This is the glory that he meant for us. What is that? It's none other than Christ and him crucified. We understand that, but let's go on and see how Paul builds this. He, he says in verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, obviously, if they, if they knew Christ, they would love him, right? But they didn't see it. So again, the wisdom of this world can't pick up what God's doing. It's foolishness to them. 
That's why he quotes in verse 9, he says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, many times we mistakenly translate this verse or, or interpret it to be talking about heaven. I've heard it, I've, I've even done it myself before. You know, I have not seen, ears not heard what God has prepared for, for us. But in this context, we see what Paul's saying. That which we would never have seen or heard or imagined is the cross. It's the gospel. It's the good news of how God redeems us and how that's been his, his, his mystery for us through the ages. We could never imagine this. We could never see it with our eyes or hear it with our ears or imagine it with our mind. And yet, to those whom God chooses to reveal the Son, whew, it's the power of God and the salvation, right? Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. You see that? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now again, folks, what I'm preaching here is a hard doctrine. And I don't even personally, as a human being, like it in, in the sense when I'm trying to witness to somebody. I, 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 what I'm saying is I take comfort in it, but if, as a human, just from my human wisdom, we don't like this. Because we have to start admitting, wait a minute, that, that's not fair. You mean some people are going to get it, some people aren't? And, and we don't get this stuff. So I'm going to be honest and say, I don't understand all of God's ways. He is sovereign. He is far above us. He's the creator. He's the potter. We're the clay. And as Paul says, doesn't the potter have power over the clay to do whatever he wants to do? Who are we to say, God, you know, what are you doing? And so what Paul's saying here, though, is the glorious truth that none of us deserve this, this, this glorious grace. And yet, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's still gracious to us. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So it makes perfect sense. I don't know what Keith's thinking right now. He could be saying, good night, Greg. It's only one minute to go. I'm going to miss my dinner. I'm, I'm wanting you to hurry up. You know, he could be thinking all kinds of stuff. Only Keith knows. He looks pleasant, but I don't know. Only you know what you're thinking, right? <laughs> and what Paul's saying is, nobody understands God except God. That's what he's saying there. Only, only God. So, so we put it all together. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to those, to, to us through the Spirit, for it's the Spirit who searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the, the Spirit of that person themselves? So also one uh, comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world. So again, he keeps contradicting or contrasting the wisdom of the world, the spirit of the world versus the wisdom of God and the spirit of God. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we, and here it is, look, why did we have to receive the spirit that's from God? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. So yes, the gospel is freely given to the world. The fact that God is the creator of all is plainly seen in creation. That creation heralds to this world. There's a God. There's the God of order. There's the God of design and majesty. And then the gospel itself through our conscience. We, we know what sin is and, and we, we hear these things, but there's still a problem. Human wisdom cannot 
close the deal. It can't grasp it. It can't connect all the dots. These, he says, are from God. He says that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's from the Spirit. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, basically. Again, saying again, it's kind of like Jesus said in his parables, let those who have ears to hear, hear. Those who have the Holy Spirit are going to understand these things, but without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand them. So here's the, 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 the epitome of this whole chapter right here, verse 14, is the, the double whammy, if you will. This is it. Look what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. It's like Paul's getting a little antsy here. He's trying to explain it, but now he says, let me just tell you, folks, here it is. You in your natural state cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And look at this. And to top it off, not only is the truth of God's grace and his gospel and what Christ has done for us foolishness to the natural man, he's not able to understand them. You see that? That's, that's powerful. The gospel is foolishness to the lost man in his sin and he's not even able in his state to understand the truth because they are spiritually discerned. Wow. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, Paul, back and forth, but he's, he's again just saying, who, who has ever understood God's mind? We're not going to understand that. But we've been given the mind of Christ by him, by his grace. We, we have been given the Spirit. So he's writing again to Christians. We have to keep in context here. He's not writing to the whole world. He's writing to Christians at Corinth, those who have already shown evidence of being saved by this gospel message. And Paul's reminding them, you didn't get there by your wisdom. You didn't get there by human understanding. We're not proclaiming this to you by by you know, some kind of lofty speech. I'm not entertaining you. I'm not trying to tickle your ears. I'm just laying out the covenant of God, the promise of God, the gospel, that Christ was crucified for sinners. And it's the Holy Spirit that is making your heart jump up and down. It's the Holy Spirit that is allowing you to have confidence to believe this message. It's God's faith working in you that's allowing you to be bold in the very face of doubt when those atheists question, when, when those skeptics come around, when even your own heart tells you as you look around, oh, I, can't, I can't believe this. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with your spirit that you, that you are a child of God and that all of this is true. Thank God for the Spirit of God and His grace. I want to close with Luke 8, 9 through 10. This is, this is, our, this is our joy. And again, it's, and it is not something to gloat about. It's not something to be proud and arrogant about and say, well, look, God showed me, and you, you, you dirty sinner, you don't even know Christ because you can't see, but God showed me. Oh, man. If you've got that attitude, then he hasn't showed you anything. If you've got that attitude, though, look at me, I'm the greatest. No, we're... It's the other way around, folks. We are so destitute, so 
silly-minded, so dead in our sins and our understanding that he had to show us. <laughs> he had to give his spirit. And it humbles us. Why would he love me? Why at all? I understand. You know, it's so funny for me. I got to quote Spurgeon here. I'm not plagiarizing him, but I'm quoting him. <laughs> when he preached on the text that said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, a woman went crazy after the sermon, came up to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, how dare you? I can't understand how you could preach such a horrific text. I cannot believe that God would hate Esau. I can't imagine that God would hate Esau, and I can't understand how you could even say that. And Spurgeon said, ma'am, I have no problem understanding why God would hate Esau. My problem is why God would love any of us. Why would God love Jacob in the first place? That's the, that's the amazing thing. And yet we must humbly come to the Word of God, which again is where our foundation of faith is. It's not about feelings. It, it, it can't be. They change. My heart's deceitful. I can't trust it. What do I trust? The never-changing promise of God. What does it say in Luke 8, 9 through 10? This is what Jesus told those apostles. And, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. They say that's a strange verse to close with, but does this not cause us to fall at the mercy of God and pray for his discernment? Pray for his spirit to continue to guide us in his word. Pray, pray that every day we read the Bible, Lord, show me again by your spirit how you love me, how, you, how you've uh, revealed your truth to me. Show me again how you redeemed me. Show me again how, where my hope is, that you are a fortress that fails not, that your steadfast love endures forever. Reveal, continue, Lord, to reveal and to give me faith to rest in your covenantal promises. Let's bow our heads. We're only seven minutes late. <laughs> let's, let's bow our heads and then we'll sing a song after this prayer and be dismissed our father again we are thankful for your word because without it we will fall into despair we, we again want to thank you that we're saved by grace through faith and that that is not of ourselves it's a gift of God not of works lest we should ever brag father we boast in you we boast in your glory and your eternal plan and in the fulfillment of that plan, that mystery through the ages that we now understand is Christ my Savior. Let me love him with my life and may you get all the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.